the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Tomorrow can be bigger. Just grow, let the world overflow. Yeah. Live a life bigger than yourself. You're created for greatness. Live a life bigger than yourself. This is the Live Big Broadcast with Derek Greer. The Word of God is full of life-changing power. So our prayer is that this broadcast equips you to live a life so big that it impacts everyone and everything around you. Remember to hit the notification bell on YouTube to get this teaching and worship with us live each week. Let's join Bishop Greer. All right, Nehemiah 1 and 1. By the way, I'm going to begin a series uh, in the book of Nehemiah. So next week, we're going to pick up chapter 2. But it begins, the words of Nehemiah, uh, son of Hakaliah. The book of Nehemiah is really an inspired memoir, if you will. Um, Otherwise, we would know very, very little about this man named uh, Nehemiah. He was a cupbearer for the king, King Arxerxes, by the way. Uh, And and mostly he was a man that decided enough was enough. And that's really what the book of Nehemiah is is about. You know, some changes in your life will not happen until you make them. Uh, You could pray about them all you want, but until you take a step of action uh, that that stands behind or in concert with your prayers, you're not going to be able to move forward. And it says... And it came to pass in the month of Kislev in the 20th year. Uh, This date lets us know that it was roughly about 100 years uh, since the first captives uh, came back from from exile. Now, the story here is a little bit complicated, but the children of God, you know, since Moses had an on again, off again relationship with God, it lasted about a thousand years. So the children of Israel had a thousand years of God's patience. Uh, and over time, what happened is um, the, the kingdom got divided into um, two nations. Uh, one was the kingdom of Judah and the other, the kingdom of Israel. And today we would liken one to a blue state, if you will, and another to a, a red state. So uh, the, the Israelites or the Jewish people better were, were, were deeply uh, divided and uh, God finally got fed up with this off and on uh, relationship folks had with him. And he finally allowed, he prophesied that it would happen. The Babylonians, he had them come and destroy Solomon's temple. And uh, they also conquered Jerusalem. And what's the use of a temple if people aren't really worshiping? And you don't want to have so much form, but really not have the substance in the heart of it that God uh, really does, doesn't, you know, he's not impressed by, by all he sees and, and hears. Um, so uh, immediately, as soon as the Babylonians began to, um, well, actually, as soon as they defeated the Israelites and, and the Judeans, uh, they immediately began to deport all of the people from that region of the world to uh, Babylon and the Israelites or the Jewish people were passed along a little bit like a a soccer ball Uh, following about 70 years 
of captivity. So it was a process and discipline is a process, just like God's blessing often can be a process. So following 70 years of captivity, King Cyrus, who happened to be a Persian king, um, allowed a small remnant of Jewish people to to return to, to Jerusalem. And those folks began to rebuild and settle the land. And as soon as they got back in, Ezra and those guys started to rebuild the temple. And uh, as they did it, though, their neighbors got jealous and they were offended and upset. It's like how, you know, people in that time, uh, in that era, saw everything in light of the gods, meaning uh, if your tribe was successful, that meant your God was stronger. So when the Israelites began to prosper and build their temple, uh, you know, it, it, it caused the, the neighboring folks who worshiped a different God uh, to, to, to feel threatened by that. So uh, opposition arose and a lot of hate went on and just a lot of bad stuff. And it got so intense that the Israelites actually quit. And, uh, you know, for 17 years, they had basically given up. All they did was lay the foundation and build the altar for the temple. And by the way, this temple would be called the second temple. So in your Bible or as you study, uh, uh, the, the temple of Solomon was the first temple. But it's in these days, in the days of Ezra, as well as as Nehemiah, that they build the, the second temple. And let's, let's pick up again um, at the verses here. Now we are in the month of Kislev in the 20th year. As I was in Shushan, the citadel. So we see that Nehemiah not only uh, lived in the capital, he actually lived in the palace of the king. Uh, But there are no coincidences with God. He was there for a reason. And you may not know, you know, why you're in the situation that you're in today. uh, But God knows. And and I I like what St. Augustine said. He, He said, trust the past to God's mercy. Trust the present to God's love but trust the future to God's plan. And that's what's happening here. Uh, Verse two, the Hananiah, one of the brethren, came with men from Judah. Nehemiah was about 800 miles away from the promised land in a strange land, speaking strange languages, eating strange foods. But even in this super difficult situation, God made him successful even in that place, so successful that Nehemiah lived in the palace. And I've learned in my life, you have to learn to to blossom wherever you're planted. And despite though, and this is this where the book gets interesting, all of Nehemiah's amazing success, uh, his heart stayed plugged into God enough to still care about where he came from and to care about God's people. So here he is. He's, he's a prominent figure. If you're a cupbearer, you're an advisor to the king. Uh, you have access to resources. You're living in a palace. It's, he's living this incredible existence. But he, he asks a question. He begins to inquire about something. He said, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped. Now, this is important. God will not always, you know, send a burning bush and flashing lights and, and angels will not always appear to get our attention. It's really important. If we really love someone, really, really love someone, we're going to inquire daily about what, you know, it takes to bless them or what they would like uh, in, in order to be blessed. And, and here um, we have this man, again, who could have been preoccupied with a status and all the rest. He's concerned about God and God's people. And then he poses some question. He pokes in to try to find out how he could leverage what God had done for his life uh, for God's people. I asked him concerning the Jews who had 
escape. So Nehemiah was concerned about those risk takers. Now, he didn't go to Palestine to return to the land, but he was concerned with those who did have the courage and the opportunity uh, to do that. And I, I wish that I could say living by faith was, was easy. I mean, you know, all you got to do is read a few verses and pray in tongues for five minutes and then everything, you know, for the rest of your life is, is a cakewalk. But, but there's a time that it will take everything to hold on. And this is what uh, the remnant of those who had returned to the promised land, what we're going through. And I want to encourage you wherever you are, hold on because God knows what he's doing. And, and just because you're dealing with some challenges and things might not be happening on your timeline, maybe you started and stopped and uh, maybe you started and then there was opposition that you couldn't get past. A, a zillion things could have happened, but that doesn't mean that God is finished. He said, I asked concerning the Jews who had escaped, uh, who had survived the captivity. Now, these men and women that returned to the land, these were scrappers. I mean, these, these are folks with a whole lot of grit. They, they kind of lived in survival mode for, 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 for 70 years. But the problem is we can get so preoccupied trying to survive in life, we stop trying to really live our lives. Today, psychologists diagnose something called uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, PTSD is an overactive uh, stress response, if you will, uh, that comes from a real traumatic event or events, plural, uh, but it, it extends beyond the real danger. And in large measure, this is really what, what, what these folks were going through. So this is when you, you, you had a moment or a period that was unsafe. But after that moment, everything and everywhere is always unsafe. Your brain kind of goes into overdrive, thinking about analyzing and solving for the what ifs. And, uh, you know, you, perhaps you were in the Middle East and you were uh, fighting the Taliban, but now you're in a movie theater and you're like, you know what, I got to look for my exits. You know, who's going to uh, come in the door? Your, your mind is on overdrive because you were in this intense situation and, and you, you're having a problem turning it off. And this is what was going on in the lives of, of God's people that were in the promised land. And Nehemiah was concerned about it. Here he was in the palace. Of course, there's palace intrigue, but it wasn't on the level of what his brothers and sisters uh, were facing. So he's concerned about the people, but he's also he also says here and concerning the city of Jerusalem. So, you know, after food, water, shelter, you know, the basic biological needs that we have uh, after that, we need a safe place uh, for us. Safety is vital. We need a safe place to worship, a safe place to live. My hope, by the way, is that Grace Church becomes your Jerusalem, a safe place to grow and, and develop uh, in a world that has gone absolutely mad. So he prayed for the people, but he also prayed concerning Jerusalem, which was their location. He wanted them to be in a safe place so they can grow and develop and become everything that God wanted him, uh, them to be. Verse three. And they said to me, now they're giving this report to Nehemiah, the survivors. Okay. This group is called uh, survivors several times here. And the dictionary defines survivors as those who remain alive after others have died. And uh, many of us are survivors. Uh, a matter of fact, all of us, if you're here today on some level, you, you are a survivor. I want you to think, though, specifically about these people, of the trauma that they had gone through. Uh, the government had burned down the temple. Um, but they survived. They had lost their nation and they were sent as captives to a foreign land, but they survived. They tried to rebuild the temple, uh, but opposition arose from every corner. Literally all hell 
broke loose, been there, understand that a little bit. Uh, but they survived. Uh, they gave up for uh, on rebuilding the, the, the altar for about 17 years, but God didn't give up on them. And finally, they completed it and they survived. But finally, uh, they tried to, uh, you know, once they finished the temple, they tried to build a wall around the temple because in that day and age, if you did not have a wall around the city, your city, you were in a very dangerous situation uh, because at night raiders would come in, etc. Walls were literally uh, uh, people's protection. That's why David would say things like, you are my rock, my refuge, my shield. Um, he saw God as his walled city and the place of protection and walls were super, super important in the ancient world. And they tried to rebuild the walls, but but they were unable to. And, uh, you know, everything kept breaking out every time they tried to, to, to take one step forward. They got knocked six or seven steps backward. So here they are in the promised land. They, they do have the temple, but every day. Um, they're trying to survive because at any moment, any group of marauders, there were Bedouins. There were all different types of people that traveled around that, and attacked. And, and, you know, they'd steal your wives, enslave your children, steal your crops and everything you own. Um, it wasn't just a matter of, you know, when I was young, uh, someone might try to steal your sneakers. Um, you know, and that was the big thing. But, um, I mean, they would take everything, including those you love. So it was a very serious uh, situation and those in Israel were, were living on pins and needles, if you will. It says the survivors who are left from the captivity in the provinces are there in great, watch this, great, what? Great distress. Why were they in distress? Because they were constantly exposed to danger. And over time, when you have that adrenaline constantly flowing in your body, uh, it, it impacts you in a lot of ways. So these folks were dealing with some uh, post-traumatic stress. Actually, some of it wasn't post. It was current uh, traumatic stress. But then it adds and reproach. Why were they in reproach or, or better disgrace? Because it was embarrassing for people to say that we are the people of God, uh, but but we're living such a desperate life. We're living hand to mouth. And, and we've been in this situation for so long. We're not safe. Our children aren't safe. And it's frustrating. And, and again, I look up to heaven. I worship in the temple, but I don't see a God's hand moving the way I'd like in my life. How many have been in the situation of uh, uh, these survivors here? And then it adds... The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down. So, again, they worship, but their protection uh, wasn't complete. It, it was it was it was gone and uh, on some in some parts and in some level. Maybe, you know, you return to the Lord. Maybe you've come back after after straying and all the rest. But when you came back, you didn't feel as safe and as confident as you as you once did. Your faith wasn't as innocent and and wasn't as trusting as it as it once was. And you're, you're so impacted by what you went through, um, you know, when God had to deal with your stubbornness and, and all the rest, that the walls that were in your mind that. Uh, once easily resisted feelings of inadequacy, it, it once resisted, you know, fear and, and, and panic. Now those walls are weak and, and you live in constant fear of where the enemy might strike next. It, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the Lord. And these folks had gone through it and um, they're dealing with all different types of stress on all different types 
of level, but they want the walls here mirror what they wanted to happen in their spiritual lives. They wanted God to be a wall around them and they didn't want any gaps in the hole. And that's what I want in my life. I want God to, to build a hedge of protection about me and my family, my church and those I love. And I don't want any gaps in that hole. And uh, just as they were trying to build up this physical wall, it, it again spoke to what they were trying to accomplish spiritually. And I think all of us on some level are trying to do that. And then it goes on and says, and it's gates are burned. So the walls of the city protected against those that might try to, you know, go into the woods and and sneak and and climb in through, you know, some some area where it's just not highly populated. And I don't know if there was a whole lot of woods in in Jerusalem. But um, the the point is uh, the, the walls of the city are really for, for, for those that, that, that are sneaking and creeping and that type of thing. But gates, pay attention here, are usually connected to roads. There's, those are high traffic areas. And gates were used to protect against those who really uh, didn't have a shame about entry. They weren't really trying to sneak in. They felt they had a right or they had the force and power just to come in. And this is important. You can't force someone to respect you. But our gates or the lines that God draws in our lives are those uh, are there so we can refuse to be disrespected. So the gates were there to stop those that uh, Jerusalem or the people of Jerusalem didn't want in. Uh, but they didn't have that prerogative anymore. They didn't have the power to stop anyone. And this was the situation of their lives. So it was when I heard these words, uh, when, when Nehemiah heard that the temple was in trouble and that God's faithful people, you know, I mean, come on, they risked travel 800 miles to go back to Israel. And um, they're, they're really living hand to mouth and and just all types of dangers that they're facing. When he heard about it, he sat down and watched this. He wept and mourned for many days. Now, here's here's my big question for you today. Does your heart still break for what breaks God's heart? This man was powerful and successful. And sometimes we can get so successful, so provided for, so uh, powerful. We can reach our goals in life that, you know, it's all about us. But does your heart break for what breaks God's heart? Nehemiah, this powerful man, was still impacted by the heart of God and a love for his people. He said, "I, I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven, not for himself, but for his church, before his temple, uh, for his people. Um, by the way, the, the rest of this chapter outlines the prayer, and I'm not going to dig into all that. But what we do find, and you can read this on your own, he prayed the scripture. He uh, quoted God's promises. But most importantly, he was willing to give something up. It started with food. And by the way, when you want something so bad, you stop eating. That, that, you, that means you're, you're pretty serious about it. And it really, it's really important, though, though. Um, to stop asking God to care about things that you don't care about and calling that prayer. If you don't really want it, um, you might formulaically check the box and think you prayed about it. But until, if it doesn't move your heart, it's not going to move God's heart. Jeremiah tells us in chapter 29, you will seek me and find me. Watch this. When you seek me with your whole heart. And I have many times in my life just checked the box to pray a prayer and got no results. And it wasn't until I slowed down and said, you know what? I'm going to really, really talk to the Lord about this. And I'm going to pray with my whole heart, undivided attention. And uh, every time I've done that, God has heard. He didn't always answer the way I wanted exactly. 
but I, I left knowing that God heard me. Now, I want you to skip to the end of this prayer because I'm not going to keep you too long this morning. And I'll pick up this chapter next week. In verse 11, he says, oh, Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant. So he poured out his heart to the Lord and in humility. He, he's saying, Lord, may, may you hear what I just said. But he doesn't stop there. He says, enter the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name. Nehemiah realized that he was not the only one who loved God. He wasn't the only one who cared. Um, and sometimes you can start feeling like, you know, you're the only one that that's living faithfully, that that cares about the things of God. But Nehemiah didn't have that type of mentality. Uh, he recognized that there were others that there's always a remnant with God. There's always a remnant. There were others that cared about God's plan, cared about Jerusalem, etc. And uh, in that, though, you know, a lot of times we say no one else cares. And because no one else cares, we feel that we don't have to do anything. They don't care. Why should I care? But uh, here he says, you know, I'm not the only one who cares, but he was willing to do whatever his part was. And um, that that's really important. He said, and let your servant prosper this day, I pray. And just a side note here. Prosperity is a good Bible word. It has been misused and abused, but prosperity is something you can pray for as long as you're willing to use whatever God prospers you with for his cause and his kingdom. So God had given Nehemiah status. He had given him a favor with the king. He had obviously give him, given him some wealth and riches, etc. cetera. Uh, but he was willing to lay all that on the line for the cause of the kingdom. So again, God doesn't mind you having as long as you're willing uh, to invest what you have into uh, what God might, might need it for. Uh, and then he says, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. And it seems a little strange here. He's, he's talking real generic, but he starts then speaking about this specific man. You see, Nehemiah knew that he had access to the answer. He was serving the most powerful king in that part of the world at that time. And he would not um, uh, shy away from risking uh, his life, his reputation uh, to get his prayer answered. He knew that he had certain resources. And in this case, it was the king. And he was willing to leverage that resource. And we're going to see this next week in order for God's purposes to come to pass. So don't ask God to guide your footsteps if you're not willing to move your feet. Nehemiah not only prayed with his mouth, he was willing to pray with his life. He was willing to lay down uh, everything that God had given him for the cause of Christ. And then he ends this chapter this way, and we're done as quickly as we got started. For I was the king's cupbearer. And you see the, the, the memoir throughout. You see him talking about his experience and, and, and how he says this is, is pretty uh, amazing here. Uh, but he knew that he was in his position for a reason. And uh, again, he was willing to risk his life his position, his resources, his reputation to make a difference for God's people. Today, you know, we have millions of people across this country, around the globe. Actually, we're in the billions here. But in the United States of America, millions of people that are literally traumatized by what's going on in this world. The darkness it just seems darker than it's ever been. You know, I'm, I'm not 100 years old. 
but you know I've never seen anything like this in my lifetime and I know folks that are close to 100 years old uh, and uh, you know 80s and 90s and they're saying the same thing I have never seen time such as this in my lifetime so uh, our nation's traumatized our communities are traumatized and, and, and here's the question what are you willing to do to make a difference when is the last time you prayed for for someone else with your whole heart prayed for God's cause with your whole heart not just Lord you know meet my need but but Lord um, your your people God uh, what, what's happening uh, in the nation you know this week the Supreme Court uh, has struck down uh, Roe versus Wade and and parts of the nation uh, are up in arms over that particular issue. If there was ever a time for people to pray, now is the time we need to pray uh, for God's peace and, and for the nation. Uh, what happened here, from what I understand, and I just got the news, basically the courts pass the decision back to the state legislatures uh, where people will make the decision. So now uh, it won't be the courts making the decision. It will be uh, the people of the land. But but here's the deal. This nation needs prayer more than any other time. I think in my lifetime, uh, we've we've had insurrections. We, we've had uh, violence in the streets. We've had riots and, and burnings. We've had so much. Uh, we need to pray for our nation and we need not just to pray with our mouths. We need to be willing to pray with our hands and our feet. Nehemiah prayed from the heart, but he was also willing to get involved. And let me say this. It's 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 not worth anything until it costs you something. So whatever it is, whatever your passion is, um, you know, as it relates to God's kingdom, don't just pray for the church. Get behind the church. Don't don't just pray for the nation. Pray before you vote. Uh, pray before you have certain conversations with loved ones. I ask God for, for wisdom. This has been Live Big with Derek Greer, the radio broadcast ministry of Grace Church in Dumfries, Virginia. It is our sincere prayer that you are blessed and empowered to live a life bigger than yourself today. If you want to know more about becoming a Christian or want to rededicate your life to Christ, Bishop Greer wants to walk you through a step-by-step guide. It's the most important decision you'll ever make. Visit gracechurchva.org salvation to find out more. We invite you to worship with us online each Sunday on our YouTube channel at Grace Church VA TV. And while you're there, remember to subscribe and hit the notification bell to get all of our latest content. That's all for today. Until next time, live big. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.